0: We have many visitors with us today and we are thrilled you're here. Thank you for your presence and make sure for those of us who are here all the time to let these people know how welcome they are. Paul wrote this while picking up in the middle of a sentence, the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations but has now been manifest to his saints. To whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. What is our hope? Hope! is oriented toward the future. as Romans 8 tells us we don't hope for what we already have. Hope anticipates. In Romans 8, 24, For in hope we have been saved, but hope which is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we eagerly wait for it. Hope is oriented toward the future. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, things we don't see but we believe are true, we believe are real. Now, if I were to ask you what your hope for the future is, what would your answer be? The answer would probably be different if I asked those who were younger, or those who were in their teens, than those who were in their 80s. Your hopes for the future may differ quite a bit. But whether you're 80... Whether you're in your teens, you better have a hope for something that outlasts this world. Sometimes when I'm asked how old I am, I pause. Not because I'm embarrassed to tell my age, but because I can't believe the answer myself. I can't believe how quickly time has gone. And for those of you who are younger, you're going to wake up with that same people someday if God spares you long enough. And what is our hope? What is it that the future holds for us? Or how are we living in light of the future? And I think I don't have to tell all of you this year. But this world is largely a hopeless place. In First Thessalonians chapter 4 in verse 13, we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you do not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Now that passage is worthy of greater examination, and there are parts of it to which we will return, Lord willing, in the lesson today. But right now we emphasize 1 Thessalonians chapter 4... In verse 13, Paul is teaching these brethren so that they do not grieve as those who have no hope. We live in a world with no hope and it has always been that way. One of the ways that archaeologists can understand some things about the first century world, in addition to, as you would expect, it, you could discover the remnants of writing, or remnants of ancient letters, uh, but also with grave inscriptions, because what's written on a gravestone tells you much about a person and their point of view in life. And all Often the gravestones of the early world demonstrate a lack, a lack of hope. This was a statement on a tomb from the biblical world. Hopes are for the living. The dead are without hope. Do you want that on your gravestone? Do you want that as your funeral message? In the second century, one man addressed a couple who had lost their child and said, comfort each other as best you can because there is nothing that can be done and no hope that I can offer That was people then and now. It was a world of hopelessness and helplessness in light of the big problems. And Paul talks about that. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12 when he describes the world as saying remember that you were at that time separate from Christ excluded from the commonwealth of Israel strangers to the covenant of promise having no hope and without God in this world. No hope and without God. Now the world turns to all sorts of places looking for hope that ultimately cannot fill the bill, cannot answer man's needs. Let me invite you to turn your Bible to 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, we see in this passage one source that men often turn to for meaning in life, for hope in life, but this passage specifically addresses it. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Specifically addressed to rich Christians. And it says those who are rich in this present world, don't be conceited, don't fix your hope." On riches, Don't let that be the source of your hope. Don't let that be where you look to for security. And one of the things he emphasizes about that is because riches are in uncertain. Not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. Listen to these words from Proverbs 23 verses 4 and 5. Do not weary yourselves to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. And often our dollar bills contain reminders of that. Because sometimes they have birds, eagles, and we're to remember that can quickly fly away. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where thieves do not break in and steal. The Bible emphasizes that he is our hope. But the world looks for all types of false sources of security. Remember singing this song? Some build their hopes on the ever-drifting sand. Some own their fame or their treasure or their land. Mines on the rock that forever shall sand. Jesus, the rock of ages. I mention wealth because it's specifically mentioned in 1 Timothy 6. But there can be all kinds of things we can turn to. But ultimately, everything besides God and Christ is sinking sand. Look in your Bibles in 1 Timothy 1. I just want us to look. At a few passages here in 1 Timothy which stress that we need to fix our hope on God. He is the source of our hope. Christ is the source of our hope. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus who is our hope. Christ Jesus is our hope. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10. Let me start with verse 9. 1 Timothy 4 verses 9 and 10. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. For it is for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Then in 1 Timothy 5, in verse 5, Now she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. And we read 1 Timothy six seventeen earlier. And we emphasize that we're not fix our hope on the uncertainty of riches, but we're to fix our hope on the living God, on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. And when we do good and when we are rich in good works, we are storing up a treasure for the future. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 5 also uses this term. 1 Peter 3 and verse 5 as it's talking in context about Sarah. And the Bible says, For in this way in former times the holy women also who hope in God used to adorn themselves being submissive to their husbands. Would you accept accept this as church? That that our hope is in God and Christ. After all, isn't the purpose of this time together to call us away from the world and to put our hope in Him? If you may ask the great question, I be so certain that he is a trustworthy source in which to put our hope, that he is a solid foundation. How can I be so sure? One, I invite you to turn to Hebrews 6 and let's look at what the Bible says about the nature. Of God himself. The nature of God himself is such that it makes him a worthy object of our hope. John referred to a little of this earlier, but let's begin in verse 13. For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater he swore by himself I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. This is talking about God's promises to Abraham in Genesis 22. And God swore by himself I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. In verse 15 and so having patiently waited he obtained a promise For men swear by one greater than themselves. And with them an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. In the same way, God desiring even more to show the heirs of his promise, the unchangeableness of his oath, interposed of his purpose, interposed with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope that is set before us. Now, there's more to the verse. But he says by two unchangeable things. What are those two unchangeable things that he's dealing with in that text? One, it is impossible for God to lie. By his very nature, the God of truth always speaks truth. So nothing that he speaks will be false. That itself assures us that His words are right and His words are true. But a second ground of confidence we can have is God took an oath. He refers in verse 16. To the fact that men, men take an oath, and sometimes when there is a dispute among men, and the people that are witnesses to this take an oath, that is considered final because they would not lie in such a circumstance. Exodus 22 sheds light on this. God couldn't lie anyway. God's always going to speak the truth. But in order to strengthen our faith, God took an oath. He couldn't swear by one greater, for there is none greater than He. He swore by Himself. And the very nature of God, that God does not lie, and the oath of God, the Bible tells us that this is an assurance. This is an assurance that we can put our hope in him what's the value of studying the whole bible So we tried this year to read through the whole bible what's the value of that not all those specifics apply to that well let's just take the promises to Abraham for example God makes promises to Abraham. I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse the one who curses you. In you, all families of the earth will be blessed. And to your descendants, I will give this land. Sometimes he defines the land. In Genesis chapter 13, he says, You look to the north and the south, the east and the west. One day. You see God's promises of a land. That land was occupied by nations greater and mightier than Israel. But as you read those promises and God's assurance of those promises to Abraham, we come to the book of Joshua. And we come to the book of Joshua. Joshua 21, verses 23-23. 25, in Joshua 23 and verse 14, the Bible says not one word of all God's promises fail. I want to tell you the value of seeing the whole Bible and studying the whole Bible. is you see our God is faithful and reliable as a promise-keeping God, As a God who does what he says. As Hebrews 10 and verse 23 tells us. Hebrews 10, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And because of the nature of God, as a faithful God, as a promise-keeping God, we can put our trust in Him. God is the basis of our hope Because of His nature as a promise-keeping God. But another passage that we read earlier was 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, right after the Bible says, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. In verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus, why can I put my hope in God? Why can I put my hope in Christ? I put my hope in God. I put my hope in Christ because of God's nature as a promise-keeping God, and because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. They're all hiding souls about people who started studying the resurrection of Jesus in order to disprove it who in the process became converted. Because the evidence is overwhelming. I want you to think about it. Jesus was rejected by Roman authority. He was rejected by Jewish boys. His disciples left him at his most critical moment. How did Christianity even survive without the resurrection? And why did those men who were first so reluctant? To believe that Jesus had actually been raised. They needed overwhelming proof as demonstrated by Thomas. How did they give their life for the cause of Jesus Christ? They gave their life because they were convinced that death could not harm them. Where is your hope? One writer boasted. In effect it was a boast. The cosmos is all there ever is. All there ever was, all there is. All there When he died. I wonder what he was thinking. But for the Apostles who died, it was a different story. There are other passages that demonstrate the same thing, that our hope is tightly connected with the resurrection of Jesus. In 1 Peter 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now let me tell you, if we have that kind of hope, what it can do for us. If we have our hope set on Christ, if we have our hope set on God, if we are not laying up our treasures here upon earth, but laying up our treasures in heaven, one of the things that it can do for us is that it can transform us. It changes who we are. In First John chapter 3 and verse 3, the Bible says everyone who has his hope, this hope fixed on Him purifies himself just as He is pure. It can change our lives if we truly set our hope upon Him. In First John, You find some who were continuing to sin but claiming that they are righteous. The reason you see such words as little children make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. And it emphasizes to us if we fix our hope upon Him, this cleanses us, this purifies us. Ultimately we're cleansed by the blood of Christ in 1 John 1 7 but also when we set our hope on Him we are cleansed and purified in that process. Titus chapter 2 says these words Titus 2 verse 11 Through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, to live sensibly and righteously and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Who gave Himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, to purify Himself a people for His own possession, zealous for good works? This passage talks about two appearances of Jesus. The grace of God has appeared in Jesus as He came and gave Himself to redeem us for our sins. He also. He has appeared and he will appear. And we are looking for that as our hope in verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and appearing of our great God and Savior. His appearance in the past and the hope of his appearance in the future changes our appearance. Now, it changes who we are. He changes what we do. He purifies for himself a people zealous for good works. Hope transforms us and it sustains us. Let's go back to Hebrews six. Hebrews six. We talked about we can trust in God because it's impossible for God to lie and because God made an oath to emphasize the truth of what He was saying. But let's look at verses 19 and 20. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope that is both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil where Christ has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Hope is an anchor of the soul. There's a record of a shipwreck in Acts 27. You remember in that day, you that were drawing near the land, and they put down their anchors and they hoped for daylight. When you are being, when we are being blown around in the storms of life, and blown around in the difficulty of difficulties of life, we need an anchor that is solid and steadfast. And the anchor we have. In God and Christ, the solid and steadfast, it is an anchor that holds us up in the midst of difficulties. In Hebrews eleven, we talked about Hebrews 11:1, faith, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and the conviction of things not seen. And we see how Abraham and Sarah in verses 8 through 16 wandered about the promised land not at the time owning any of it. But they had faith. Faith. The substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. And look at verse 10. For he was looking... For the city which has foundations, whose builder and architect is God. Hebrews 11 uses all kinds of sight words. Faith, the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. He was looking for the city which has foundations. And when Moses in verses 23 through 27 makes the decision to give up and sacrifice all the wealth of Egypt... For following the people, for following God and living with his people. It said, he did not fear the wrath of the king, verse 27. For he endured as seeing him who is unseen. He kept his sight on God. In Second Corinthians chapter 1... Verse 10 uses this word for hope. I want you to listen to what Paul says here. It is worthy of much more attention than we'll give it today. Listen to what he said in verses 8 through 10. We do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired, Even of life. Indeed we had the sentence of death within ourselves. So that we would not trust in ourselves. But God who raises the dead. Who delivered us from so great a peril of death. And he will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope, And he will yet deliver us. Where you set your hope, where you place your anger, determines whether you can stand in times of trouble. Paul said, We despaired of life, we had the sentence of death within ourselves. The lesson is an appeal to make Christ your hope, to make God your hope. By putting all your eggs in one basket, it may not be good economic strategy. It's good spiritual strategy. Tell you about a person I met this week. It was Houston, Texas. It was a busy street. There's was all kinds of traffic. And some of the Christians there were saying, unbelievably. which was brave in itself, handing out Bibles. Not only that, but when those cars stopped a lot, one of the men was walking back and forth through the cars, holding up Bibles, offering it to people, and gave him away off of When I first saw this, I thought he was going to get hit. I got to talk to him afterwards. He said, I have lived a long time in rebellion to God. And I made some bad choices. And because of the choices I made, I was homeless. The only way I had a child was to do what I was just doing. Stand in meeting and go between these cars and beg for money. But he says, God has saved me. God has given me hope. And I want to do as boldly for the Lord the things that I did for myself. <laughs> All kinds of people have found hope in Christ. And it has transformed them and sustained them in their difficulties. Let us pray. Oh Lord our God. How gracious and mighty you are. For sending your son into our world. To die for our sins and rise again. So that we might have hope how comforted we are that you are a God who keeps your promises and does what you say. Thank you, God, for your abundant mercy. And Lord, we pray that we might more and more find hope as our anchor to sustain us To hold on to us in the midst of the storms of life. For, Lord, we have no other place that we can go. Help us to put all our hope and trust in you. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Friend, if you have not placed your hope in Christ, your hope in God, if you believe what we were saying today about the fact that He died and He rose again, you believe that. And you're willing because of His appearing to change, you're willing to let it change your appearance in the fact that you turn and live not the way you want, but the way He wants. Or repent. If you're willing to do that. And you're willing to be baptized in Christ. We want to assist you today. To make your life right with Him. And to extend